Hi, Gateway. We're the Millers, and we'll be reading Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. <laughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Gateway Online. Let's start with a random observation. Posture is important to your health. It's important for balance. Correct posture results in fewer injuries and greater gains in exercise. And over the long run, right posture creates less fatigue and strain on your ligaments and muscles. There are even some studies that suggest good posture can help alleviate anxiety. The same is true for our marriages. The right emotional posture is critically important. Now, what does that mean? Well, this is our third and final conversation in a series we've called Marriage Matters. And at least for Diane and me, I've saved the most impactful topic for last. Today, we're going to talk about your marriage posture. What kind of relational position should you hold in your marriage? And before we jump in, I want to give an overview of some marriage principles from a couple of guidebooks that someone showed me recently. This is uh, 19 tips for domestic bliss. This one is directed at the husband, uh, a prince among men. If a man's home is his castle, well, then doesn't that make you a princess? A top drawer fellow will make his wife feel like a queen for a day every day with thoughtful gestures like serving her breakfast in bed, drawing bubble bath in the evening, etc. What a knockout. Principle number six. Uh, I like this one. Evidently, you need to be a uh, 30-something white and a chiseled draw, uh, jaw. Maybe that's principle 19, but this is Mr. Fix-It. Step aside NASA and meet a tech-savvy Marvel able to fix anything that goes on the fritz using little more than <laughs> duct tape and an Allen wrench. Then, of course, there's one for the good wife as well. 19 principles for the good wife. Principle number one, a wife's duty. A uh, man's home is his castle, and as such, he ought to be treated like a king when he returns home from a demanding eight hours on the job or more. He rightfully deserves a bit of pampering. It's every wife's responsibility to dote upon her hardworking spouse to show that he is truly appreciated. Uh, happy homecoming, rule number five. Uh, greet him with a smile, ladies, uh, rule number six. Oh, I like this one. Prepare for contingencies. Don't look like this. Uh, it's, normal for, it's, it's normal for nine holes of golf to turn into 18 or for a meeting at work to run long. If your husband forgets to call and tell you when he's going to be late, don't make him feel even worse by giving him a hard time about it. <laughs> okay, uh, here's the thing. For some of us, the passage that Jeremiah and Dina read for us from Ephesians 5 conjures up these images. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Come on, Ed. This is the 21st century. Well, today I want to dismiss those misconceptions while we cover one of the most important principles in keeping our marriages healthy. I promise you this principle has been a serious stress reducer in my own marriage. And because of that, I've preached this sermon or something close to it twice in Gateway's history already. And I've used a version of it five or six times over the years at weddings. It's just so important to know our relational posture. Now, if you know the book Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerich, then you'll recognize some of this discussion. If you do not know this book, I recommend it. Or if you go to Right Now Media and watch, you can watch a 10-part series on this topic, it would be very beneficial. So let's get started. Wives, in this passage, God requires you to submit to your husband and to respect him. I want you to notice four things about this. First, the requirement to submit is given to wives. Now, the whole passage would have a very different feel if husbands were told to bring their wives into submission, which is the way it is sometimes interpreted. Far from that, wives, you are told to offer submission and respect. In fact, husbands, we aren't addressed in this paragraph at all, so it doesn't seem like it's legitimate for us to ever complain that our wives are not submitting to us or respecting us. Evidently, the Bible doesn't think that's our concern. Notice further that wives are required to offer submission, not obedience. Obedience is commanded of slaves and children. Obedience has to do with absolute acquiescence. And according to the Bible, we are all to obey God. This means we're to do what God says without resistance. In the case of obedience, one who is subordinate in power position follows with absolute agreement the dictates of the one who is over them. But submission is different. One Greek-English dictionary put it like this. In general, it can be understood as a submission, can be understood as a term for order, which presumes a particular social structure with its resulting responsibilities. In other words, submission has to do with order and structure, which are functional ideas. Wives, in your marriage, submission is your function. It's your relational posture. It's your place in the marriage, and it's, it's your primary concern. Submission defines, again, your relational posture in your marriage. This isn't about power or position. It's about function. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. Also, I hope you noticed that the passage began with a call in verse 21 for all of us to submit to one another. This is a general characteristic of the Jesus movement. We are people who know how to put others first. But in particular, in marriage, wives, this is your specialty. Secondly, I want you to hear that this requirement comes with a model. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, Paul says. The New Revised Standard Version translates this verse, be subject to your husband as you are to the Lord. In other words, the way in which you are submissive to Christ, in that way, be submissive to your husband. This doesn't mean submit to your husband as if he were the Lord. This means you can understand how submission works because you submit to Christ. In that way, submit to your husband. That, that's a model for you. Thirdly, this phrase also gives you a motivation. You must submit to your husband because you want to honor the Lord. In other words, submit to your husband as a way of submitting to the Lord. In respecting your husband, you please God. Now, why is this so? Here's the critical part. You please God by submitting to your husband because you are living in concert with God's design. Let me explain. Some who have read this passage have wrongly accused Paul of sexism. 
One Bible scholar put it this way. We, uh, we cannot deny that behind this passage lies a conception of society which reserves the first and most important place for the man. I disagree. I believe this view completely fails to see the intent of the passage. In fact, it may be that sexism is behind the criticism of this passage and not at all behind the passage itself. We read the passage through lenses that are colored by our experience with sexism, which is pervasive and unchristian. But if we remove those lenses, suddenly this teaching becomes breathtakingly clear and incredibly vitally important for the ebb and flow of our everyday married lives. Look, Christianity dramatically elevated the station and dignity of women. Any historian would acknowledge this. Ancient cultures as a whole tended to consider women to be little more than property. Christianity recognized women as co-heirs in Christ. And that's a quote from this same Apostle Paul. And it was the same author, the Apostle Paul, who said, quote, There is no longer any distinctions between slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female. The surrounding culture refused to allow women any position except for beauty queen, prostitute, or wife. Christianity made of its women leaders and teachers and prophetesses. Jews refused to allow women to even study the Torah. Christianity encouraged women to learn and to grow. Well then, Ed, why is it that men get to love their wives, but women have to respect their husbands? Remember, we're living in the post-Me Too world. And again, let me say, I believe the question is at fault. I believe the problem lies in our way of reading the passage and not in the passage itself. As women, I know I can't speak for you, but, but I think it's fair to assume that you don't want to be belittled or demeaned. And hopefully as men, we've learned or, or maybe we're learning enough not to try. But I believe the Bible is addressing something else altogether. As I said, this passage is not talking about power or position. This is not about supremacy and depression. This is about function and form. Remember I said that your submission to your husband as to the Lord gives you a motivation? Here's what I mean. Women, you are not required to respect your husband because he's somehow better or more powerful than you or because he's your boss. You would respect your husband because that's what your husband needs. That's how God designed him. You are to submit as a way of pleasing the Lord because submitting in submitting to your husband, you are acting consistently with your husband's need and the way God made him. We men certainly need love. We want your tenderness. We want to know that we are secure with you and we want intimacy. But more than that, we want to know that our life matters. We want to know that we make a difference to you and in the world. That's how we are designed. And that's how you can be God's instrument in our lives. Stereotypes become stereotypes because usually there's some truth behind them. There's a reason that the fragile male ego has become a proverbial stereotype. In many ways, we are fragile, ladies. We need your respect, and for that reason, God has called you to it. I have been blissfully married to Diane for over 30 years, but it's only in the last 15 years of our marriage that I fully realized the power of this truth. Listen, I think I have to I, I think I have a fairly even temper, and, and I rarely get really angry. It took me almost 20 years to realize that those rare moments when I get really angry with Diane, it's always about this. It's always because I feel minimized. I feel disrespected. I'm not saying my feelings are accurate. I'm just saying this is a part of what drives me at the most basic level. Let's review. First of all, remember the requirement to submit is given to wives. Secondly, remember that it comes with a model as you submitted to the Lord. That's the way to submit in general and in particular to your husband. And thirdly, 
This requirement, requirement comes with a motivation. Submit because he needs your respect. This is how he was designed. And finally, God gives uh, wives the degree of submission. <clears throat> In everything, he says. This means that your submission is complete. There's no time in your relationship with your husband in which your relational posture is not submission and respect. Well, does that mean that I can't disagree with my husband? Of course not. When your husband's wrong, I certainly hope you'll be disagreeing. But even in that, your emotional posture should be respect. Does that mean my husband makes all the important decisions? Not in my house, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean that my husband is really the boss? No, this is a completely unchristian way of seeing things. There is no boss. There are only fellow sinners loved by God, mutually serving one another. Well, what does it mean then, Ed? What does it look like? How do I act if, if I'm going to be this submissive wife? You know, it's interesting to me that the Bible doesn't answer that question. Evidently, being submissive looks different in different relationships. You see, God isn't giving you a set of behaviors. He's not telling you to, to always be quiet and meek and docile. God is giving you an attitude, a relational posture. And that posture will look different depending on your makeup and personality. Some of you are quiet and agreeable, so submissiveness will look quiet and agreeable in you. But some of you are not quiet and decidedly not agreeable. Submission will look very different on you. You are not called to be something that you are not. But you are called to be submissive. Not because the man in your life is preeminent, but because the man in your life is needy. He needs respect and it is your charge to give it to him. After addressing wives, of course, Paul turns his attention to husbands. <clears throat> and husbands, you are required to love your wives. And there are two observations to make about God's requirement to us, but they're doozies. First of all, God's requirement for us comes with a standard. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And Christ's love for the church is consistently the picture of love in the New Test that the New Testament gives us about love. 1 John 3.16 says, uh, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the most crucial part of God's work in us men. We've got to undergo radical corrective surgery. We have been told a lie and we believed. We've been told that love is about moonlight and flowers with rich toned violin accompaniment. If I can offer an analogy, it's as if we have been led to believe that love equals passion, romance, and sex when those are like the warm summer days of love, which come and go in season. And summer days are wonderful, but so is a beautiful snow and a, a cool fall afternoon and crisp spring mornings. In other words, love involves romance, passion, and sex, but that's not what love is. Love is a choice to do what Christ did. And to make sure we get the point, God adds this intimidating phrase, quote, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't know about you, but to me, that's scary. Apparently, the essence of the requirement given to us is that we choose to lay down our lives for our wives. This isn't about authority, men. You have no right to take up authority in your home. Authority is given to you. First by God, and then by your wife. You don't take it. It's given. And this is not authority to exert power or will. 
The authority you've been given is the authority to serve and eventually to die. That's what Christ did. I've tried to find some other way of reading this. I've, I've searched for some other explanation, but none can be found. In essence, God here tells us that our zealous promotion of our own desires and agenda, and even our promotion of our own well-being must be replaced by a zealous promotion of our beloved. This is how she will know that we love her when we lay down our life for her. Let me get at this another way to emphasize the point. Let's use a conflict situational example. What should you do in conflict? If you're in conflict today, I suggest that God's command to you, husbands, is to lay down your life for your wife. Lay down your right and your need to be right. Figure out as best you can what she's saying. What is she asking for and why? How can you help advance her agenda and not your own? Where have you been wrong and where have you promoted yourself and not her? That's the starting place for you. That's the beginning of your posture. I'm not saying your wife is always right. I'm not saying that your feelings and your agenda don't matter. I'm saying that the way in which you approach the conflict has to be defined by laying down your life. Let me repeat myself. I suspect that those of us who've been familiar with this teaching from Paul, if you've heard it before, thought it before, uh, we may have believed that the, the business of being leaders of the home is about authority. Well, it is. But there are two important things we should keep in mind. First of all, authority is not ours to take. We don't take authority over our wife. She gives us authority. And, and she gives us authority because of her devotion to Christ. And then under Christ does not equal being boss. Under Christ, authority equals service and responsibility and ultimately death. So we place our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our agenda under hers. We promote her now and from now on. Listen, I know that the overwhelming majority of you husbands, you love your wives as best you know how. I've heard many of you express it. I really believe in many cases, if some grand gesture were called for, you would give it. I believe if you were called literally, literally to sacrifice your life for your wives, you would. I believe if you had to endure pain for her, you would. But of course, what you and I are called to do is much harder. We are called to do that, not in one grand gesture, but in small degrees every day. We are called to daily lay down our, our habit of being foremost in our own thoughts and instead to take care of her. We are called to give ourselves up for her because that is what she needs. Your wife needs to be loved. That's how God made her. Men, your desire to lead a life that matters, a desire which at least in part God's given you, now that takes second place. Your wife also wants to make a difference. She also wants to make an impact. But more than that, she wants to feel secure. She wants to be cherished and cared for. Not because she can't care for herself, but simply because she is designed to be the recipient of your care. That's how God made her. And when you run into trouble in your marriage, I guarantee you that most of the time it's because she does not feel your love. So give it to her. Lay down your life for her. Give her your care. From now and through the rest of your life, do not ever let your love, that is your choice, to lay down your life for her. Do not ever let that grow cold or stale. How dreadful for you and me if Christ ever let his love for us grow cold. That's your standard as well. Love her as Christ loved you.
Secondly, I want to remind us of the end toward which your love for your wife points. The requirement to love has as its goal to make your wife holy. Now, the goal of your love is not to make your wife happy. We talked about this two weeks ago. This is an unattainable goal for you and is no part of your requirement. There will be happiness and sadness in your lives together, and much of that is out of your control. But you can make your aim to help her grow in holiness, and God will honor that aim. And by doing that, you help her to experience Christ's peace and presence, even in times of sorrow. The requirement to love your wife has as its goal to make your wife holy. Now listen, you cannot do this. You cannot make your wife holy if you do not yourself have a connection with God through Christ. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about coming to church, although I'm glad if you do that. I'm talking about a living relationship with God that nurtures you, a connection with God that gives you strength, which you can then pass on to your wife. You must have this. And, and those of you who have been walking in connection with Christ for a long time and have known the power that that connection gives to your marriage, you also know the damage that can be caused when that connection is missing or weakened. You know the kind of trouble you get into in your marriage when you are left to depend on your own strength. You know what happens when sin or fatigue or selfishness begin to define your relational posture toward your wife. So for today, uh, for you, this is the day to recommit. If you've allowed your connection to God to grow faint, today is the day to plug back in. If your own personal holiness has faltered, today is the day to turn it around, to confess before God, to get clean and to offer your new power and freedom to your wife. If you've never had a connection with God, today is the day to plug in for the first time. I don't care about your religious upbringing. If you don't have an ongoing vital connection with God in Christ, you cannot make your marriage happen healthily. You're, you're, you're like a racehorse who can't even begin to run when the gates open. You'll have no power to move your love toward its true purpose and end. So you'll shoot for some shadow purpose. You'll spend your time trying to provide for your wife or to make her happy or to change her. You'll convince yourself this is your job, but that's not love's truest purpose. Love seeks to make her holy, and holy means set apart, special to God, like God. Our love lifts up our beloved into Christ's presence and allows His love to fill her in a way that only He can. That's the purpose. So I want us to pause for a moment right now. If you have allowed your own spiritual life, your connection to God to, 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 to linger, to fade, to, to, to grow weak, then right now, let's do some business with God. And if you have never, if you've never made a connection with God because of what Jesus Christ has done, then this is the moment right now. This is the time to say, God, I, I, I recognize that I need you I recognize that I've been at a distance from you. I recognize that my life is not even what I want it to be, much less what you want it to be. I've not been working for the right purpose in my marriage. I've not been working for the right purpose in my own life. I need Jesus Christ to be the governor of my life. This is the time for us to step in and make that decision. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Lord, you know every one of us who are listening and you know our heart. Hear our prayer right now. And I want to encourage you, whatever is going on in your mind and heart, to turn that into a prayer right now. Jesus, we need you. We need your strength. We need your 
governorship. We need your impact in our lives, flowing out of our lives to the ones that we love. Touch us. Save us. Reconnect us. In Jesus' name, amen. It would be worth remembering now what we said in week one of this series. We said our highest purpose as husbands or wives is to be an an instrument for promoting our partner's spiritual and personal welfare. Now, we've been talking here about the first part of that purpose, haven't we? To promote our partner's spiritual welfare. And did you notice that he gives us a specific tool for accomplishing that purpose in this passage? Make her holy, he says, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word. Men, wash her with the word. Put this word in the center of your homes. Open it and talk about it in your homes. He continues and he elaborates on the imagery of what Christ does for his church and he builds on the stated purpose of making her holy. He says he wants to, quote, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or other blemish. And this is exactly where I get into trouble. Again, this is an amplification of my purpose in loving Diane. We talked about this last week. I'm to make Diane holy and to present her as such before God. But for me, when I see Diane's stains or wrinkles or blemishes, I get frustrated. I feel justified in being angry or bugged or put out. And without question, Diane is almost perfect, but she does have a few character stains and personality wrinkles and blemishes. But these These character foibles, these stains and wrinkles, according to God, should not be causes of dissatisfaction for me. I am charged instead to love Diane through them. If you were here last week, you may remember we said that a big part of the reason God has brought me into her life is because of these stains and wrinkles. I am to be used of God to work those out of her life so that she can be presented to God radiant. And dissatisfaction, manipulation, force, argument, coercion never work. I know now from experience that character wrinkles and personality blemishes can only be ironed out under the press of my persistent, faithful, patient, self-giving love. After all, I also have stains and wrinkles and blemishes, but I'm amazingly able to forgive them in myself and even promote my own agenda in spite of my unworthiness. So now my assignment is to promote Diane with the same zeal with which I have been in the habit of promoting myself. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. And remember one more thing. When you've done all that, you have still not done all that Christ did. You're giving yourself for one that loves and respects you. He gave himself for a bride that scorned and cursed him and eventually hung him on a tree to die. So the call on my life and yours is unimaginably high. I charge you to strive for it every day. Lay down your life today and every day after day. Do it, first of all, for Christ's sake. Do it also for her as well. And finally, do it for yourself. Your love for your wife will produce a deep, rich wellspring out of which your whole life can be fed and flow. If you withhold it or do not grow in it, you will be drinking from a dry well and your life will show it. Love her in order to make her holy. So, submit to one another. In particular, 
Wives, your relational posture is to be one of respect. The way you respect the Lord and as a way of respecting His design and do it always in everything. And husbands, you are to lay down your life for your wife, just like Jesus did for His beloved. And you're to do it toward the end of bringing out her uniqueness to God and helping her reflect God to the world. Remember, each week of this series, we've posted some homework on mygateway.life, and we will again this week. And I encourage you, go, go do the work together. Let's continue to make our homes a place of strength and a, and, a, and a place of peace and a place from which we can actually do ministry.